కుంకుమ పంక సాఫ్రన్ రాగం కలర్ ట్రాన్స్లేషన్ బై ఫుల్ without their reddish hue. Shall we all read the uh, translation together? My dear wife, until this day, I have never seen your face without Tilaka decorations, nor have I seen you so morose and without luster of affection. Nor have I seen your two nice breasts wet with tears from your eyes. Nor have I ever been before seen your lips which are ordinarily as red as the bimba fruit. without their reddish hue every woman looks very beautiful sorry purport by divine grace for the vedanta samshila topa every woman looks very beautiful when decorated with tilaka and vermilion a woman generally becomes very attractive when her lips are colored with reddish saffron or vermilion but when one's consciousness and intelligence are without any brilliant thoughts about krishna they become morose and lustreless so much so that one cannot derive any benefit despite sharp intelligence om ajnanati mirandasya gyananjana salakaya chakshurunnitam mena tasmai sri gurave namaha శ్రీ చైతన్య మనోభిష్టం స్థాపితం భూతలే స్వయం రూపాత్యం దాతి స్వాపదాంతికం వందేహం శ్రీగురో శ్రీయుతాపదకమలం శ్రీగురో వైష్ణవాంశ్రీరూపం సాగ్రజాతం సహగనారఘునాథాన్వితం తాం సజీవం సాద్వైతం సావదూతం పరిజనా సహితం కృష్ణ చైతన్యదేవం శ్రీరాధాకృష్ణపాదాం సహనాలిత శ్రీ విశాఖాన్విత కరోతి వాచాలం పంగం లంగాయతే గిరిం యృపాతమహం వందే పరమానందమాధవం అంగం లంగాయతే శైలం ముఖం ఆవర్తయే శుద్ధిం యృపాతమహం వందే కృష్ణ చైతన్య ఈశ్వరం శ్రీచైతన్యపదం భోజామధుపేభ్యో నమో నమ కాంచిత్ ఆశ్రయాదేషాం స్వాపితర్ధంధభావే హే కృష్ణాకరణాసింధోదీనబంధో జగత్పతే గోపేశ గోపికాకాంతారాధాకాంతానమోస్తుతే ప్రాప్తకాంచన గౌరంగీ రాధే బృందావనేశ్వరి నమోస్తే దేవీ ప్రణమామి హరి ప్రియే 
it is uh, the partner, the wife, has to decorate herself vaguely uh, so that she can attract her husband and uh, yes, vaguely satisfy him. It's not that uh, she should uh, decorate in a provocative way, but in a way, in a Vedic way, so that uh, she can attract her husband. And we find here the uh, cultural difference between uh, typical the north of India and the south of India. In the north of India, we find uh, <coughs> Matajis, they decorate their lips with uh, red color, whereas if you come to typical South India, uh, we don't find anyone applying any lipsticks. It's just uh, simple lips. And I found that as a contrast when Sveta got married into a North Indian family, uh, wherein um, her in-laws would often say that, why don't you apply lipstick? She says, I'm not trained to do that. <laughs> says, no, because now you have entered into uh, the North Indian family, you should apply uh, lipstick. So many times uh, she's not applying lipstick, but then when she makes a video call, immediately she goes inside and takes the lipstick and applies to her lips. So that she said, okay, now that my mother-in-law is happy uh, seeing her daughter-in-law uh, with the lipstick. So it's sort of a cultural uh, difference I find between the two places. Now, uh, the second part, uh, it, Prabhupada is trying to talk about consciousness and the intelligence. Therefore, we find um, the intelligence is being uh, described or defined in Bhagavatam 3rd Canto, 26th chapter, verse number 30. I'll just read the translation that it doubt, misapprehension, correct apprehension, memory, and sleep as determined by their functions are said to be the distinct characteristics of intelligence. I'll repeat, doubt, misapprehension, correct apprehension, memory and sleep as determined by the different functions are said to be the distinct characteristics of intelligence. So therefore, anything being said, the intelligence should doubt whether what is being said is right or wrong. And start with misapprehension, which implies that the intelligence is trying to identify oneself with the body. And then the correct apprehension is that the intelligence is able to discriminate, well, he is not the body, but he is something different, which is that he is the spirit soul. So unless the person comes to this discrimination, uh, all his activities are said to be shamayeva kikeva. And so therefore, so much so that one cannot derive any benefit despite sharp intelligence. So when so long the person is under misapprehension or bodily identification, whatever activity the person may perform, they are useless activities. Till the person comes to the platform of correct apprehension, implying that he knows that he is not the body, he is the spirit soul, and therefore his activities should be performed on that platform. And that is a real benefit. So therefore here we can see that the consciousness moves from the material consciousness, transitions to the higher consciousness, which is the spiritual consciousness. 
So the intelligence, uh, I find that has been equally divided, which I find useful uh, from the material perspective that has been described by Howard Gardner. He is uh, a psychologist and he defined nine types of intelligence. And has anyone heard this part? That the Gardner describes nine types of intelligence. And I felt this is relevant to us in the sense, I'll go through them so that you can understand relevance. That one type of intelligence is called naturalist. And his understanding is that he can understand the difference between the living things and the nature, surroundings and environment. So if someone says that you should protect environment, so this person understands it very easily. It's not that one needs to explain to him that yes, I should be responsible to protect the environment. So that is his intelligence. Then there is other person is called musical intelligence. Now this person can descend the sounds, the pitch, tone, rhythm and timbre. So this is another type of intelligence and therefore those who go on Harina must be having this musical intelligence so therefore they love to participate in Harina. Yes Prabhu? Because Prabhu Devani Prabhu, he often participates in Harina and I find that he has a deeper inclination because nature has given him that musical intelligence and that's very prominent in, uh, in those who go in on Harinam. Then there is the logical uh, or mathematical intelligence. Normally this is our understanding. Someone we call him as intelligent if he can do mathematical calculation and so on. But this is only one of the nine intelligences. It's not that that's the only intelligence. So this person can quantify things, making hypotheses and he's trying to prove them. So do not be worried or do not think that, oh, my child is not intelligent because he is not logical, he is not mathematical. That's not the only way the intelligence is being defined currently. Then, existential. So this is a type of intelligence which is very favorable for Krishna consciousness. That this person tackles the questions of why we live and why we die. So these are the deeper questions uh, which this intelligence entertains. It implies that when you are giving a book or you are talking to people and if that person happens to have this existential intelligence, he is easy to grasp things, he can easily understand, he can easily relate to what is being told because that is his background. Then we have the interpersonal Sensing people's feelings and motives. So someone who is working maybe in HR or reception, receptionist roles, so uh, interactive roles or teachers, lecturers, it, all those people should have this interpersonal skills so that they can communicate what is required to be communicated at the level at which the other person can really understand. Then the bodily kinesthetic. So coordinating your mind with your body which means that they are all athletes and uh, people who participate in games, so their uh, movement are under their control or they can easily uh, flex it. Then linguistic, 
finding the right words to express what you mean. So this is once again a type of intelligence. There are people, there are persons who can speak so nicely, who can uh, communicate exact words and therefore uh, we can understand, well, this is their intelligence. It's not, that person may not be mathematically oriented or that may not be able to person calculate, but still that does not mean that he is non-intelligent because his intelligence is elsewhere. Similarly, intrapersonal, understanding yourself, what you feel and what you want. So this is once again very favorable for spiritual understanding because he is introspective. He tries to understand himself. Then uh, spatial, there's the last one, visualizing the world in a 3D form. So we can see that there are nine types of intelligences and if I know the audience to which category they belong to or a combination of this, accordingly I can uh, give them or we can give them the required preaching at their level. So it's very important that we understand uh, someone's uh, background in terms of their intelligence and accordingly an instruction can be given. And we can engage persons of different intelligences in Krishna Consciousness because Krishna Consciousness encompasses all these nine types of intelligences. So if someone is a music lover, you can immediately call him, hey, here in Krishna Consciousness you can sing, you can dance, uh, so therefore why not join this movement or why not you take it up this particular aspect because that fits into their background. We find that His Holiness, uh, Sachinandar Maharaj, he used to say that he is from Germany, so those of you know him, and uh, he is a musician, or he was a musician before joining the Krishna Consciousness. And he thought he would be able to entertain with his guitar uh, after he joined uh, temple, but then he found that no one was responding uh, when he was playing guitar in the temple, then he understood, well, here the devotees are not musically uh, talented or uh, musically uh, intelligent. So therefore he said, after that he never played guitar uh, in the temple or at the devotees because they don't understand that aspect. So all this material intelligence is not helpful in if it is being done only on a material platform, unless we raise it to uh, Krishna Consciousness. So the Consciousness, it has seen, it is on, on one level the material platform, then you have on the spiritual platform. And one should transition from the material platform to the spiritual platform, only then the person overcomes the moroseness which is being mentioned here, and he regains back his luster. Otherwise, the person is always morose and luster uh, on the material platform because the way the nature has created for us, there's always anxiety. We always live in anxiety for the simple reason because we create anxiety for others mm -hmm. and hence we become anxious. Any festival celebration in the modern world, 
is a source of anxiety for mother nature today being christmas worldwide christmas is being generated uh, celebrated but the consequence of that is just one country like us uh, kills i believe more than 20 or 25 million uh, turkey birds so any festival celebration it involves intoxication meat eating and gambling and illicit sex and this is what is meant by uh, celebration worldwide majority of the communities uh, this is how they celebrate their festivals so that's the uh, anxiety so intelligence but as krishna uh, defines intelligence in terms of the buddhi yoga in 2.39 that this buddhi yoga is clearly explained in chapter 10 verse 10 as being direct communion with the lord who is sitting as parmatma in everyone's heart but such communion does not take place without devotional service so therefore only a krishna conscious person has real intelligence and there and hence we can say that intelligence it occurs at two different levels or two states intelligence not training krishna consciousness and intelligence trained in krishna consciousness and how do they differ so intelligence uh, not trained in krishna consciousness is given there are many verses uh, but then uh, i thought that the verse bhagavad gita 2.62 2.63 and 2.67 uh, tries to describe the intelligence of those who are not trained in Krishna consciousness. So the 2.62, I think uh, everyone knows it. Dhyayato vishayan pumsa sangha sesho pajayate sangha sanjayate kama kama krodo vijayate. So while contemplating the objects of the senses, a person develops attachment for them and from such attachment lust develops and from lust anger arises 2.63 krodha bhavate sammoha sammoha smriti vibramaha smriti bhramsha buddhi nasho buddhi nasa pranashyati from anger complete delusion arises and from delusion bewilderment of memory when memory is bewildered intelligence is lost and when intelligence is lost one falls down again into the material pool so the eight stages in which the, the person falls down uh, from mode of goodness to the mode of ignorance is described in 2.62 to 2.63 and the third was 2.67 indriyanam hi charatam yanmano nurvidhyate ಕಾಂಟೆ and then from that contemplation thinking feeling willing and puts into action and finally falls into the material pool 
and these activities are repeated again and again and again. And there is no way uh, by which that person can come out of that because he is thinking only eating, sleeping, mating and defending are the sources of pleasure because he identifies himself with the body and he does not see anything beyond that. And why does he identify himself with only the body? Because he is committing sinful activities on a day-to-day basis. What he is eating is abominable. What he is drinking is abominable. What he is performing other activities, the abominable activities. And Krishna says in some point to A, Esam Antagatasapam Jananam Punya Karmanam Persons who have acted piously in previous lives and in this life and whose sinful actions are completely eradicated are free from the dualities of delusion and they engage themselves in my service with determination. So unless a person is free from sin, he cannot transition from the material platform to the spiritual platform. So, one must transition from material platform to spiritual platform and in order to become free from sin, one should not involve oneself in activities like eating meat, intoxication, illicit sex and gambling. And this is my personal experience in another Bhakti workshop. When I ran the Bhakti Ruksha for four years, most of our participants were from Kerala. And in India, uh, one of the states where they eat a lot of meat and all the three sessions uh, is Kerala. And in Kerala, once again, there are some places where there are heavy meat eaters. No matter what you tell them, if the meat is not, is not served on the plate, they do not come from food. So we ran over four years Bhakti Ruksha and every class we repeat the same aspect that okay at least you do the chanting, forget about eating, you do chanting, they can't take, only in the class they will do the chanting but back home never did they do the chanting. Why? Because meat eating functions like a firewall, it won't allow the transcendence to penetrate through. So long in the class, they are happy, but the moment the class is over, they are back home, then uh, our class used to be on a Friday night, so from Saturday morning till the next Friday, uh, they were in their regular activities of eating meat, intoxication, and we tried and tried, we prayed to our government diabetes, but there was no perceptible change. It's not that the change would occur in four years' time. It would take for persons maybe in lifetimes. But what I'm trying to say is that transitioning from the material platform to the spiritual platform can occur only when, as Krishna says, when a person is freed from the dualities or when a person is free from sin. So on one side I'm committing regularly sin, and on the other side I'm trying to chant uh, on my beads. These two are incompatible. They cannot go together. 
Although we say that, okay, you do chanting, uh, with the chanting you become free uh, from meat eating, illicit sex or intoxication. But that is a very, very long, long process. One cannot continue for a long time. Because on one side you want to chant, other side you want to eat meat. And the same group we had in Mataji, uh, I, I was asking her, look, I have never taken uh, meat on my plate. Fortunately, I was born in a family where that was not an issue for me. So they have never uh, taken. And I said, is meat really that tasty? <laughs> she said, Prabhu, you don't know. <laughs> You have no idea. So she used to say that they would go to Tirupati. I think those of you have gone to Tirupati, you have an idea. We go to Balaji temple, climbing up the steps, have darshan of Lord Balaji, and eagerly run back uh, to Tirupati, where we can visit a portal and then satisfy our taste buds. <laughs> so Krishna consciousness is in silo that is not uh, applied in day-to-day uh, -day, uh, life. Why is it? Because the senses have not tasted a higher uh, taste and hence they feel that this is the ultimate goal and hence we spend all our time in only trying to satisfy the senses. And when we spend our time in trying to satisfy the senses, then we find that it is, though it's a sharp intelligence, it is of so much that one cannot derive any benefit in spite of sharp intelligence. Yet the person may be very intelligent, but then the person is not deriving any benefit because the ultimate goal of life is not known. People do not understand uh, that there is a goal for in life. In the college or the university where we are teaching, we ask the students, what is your goal in life? They simply say that earning money is the goal of life. <laughs> Nothing else. Almost every semester after semester, this is a typical question I ask the students. What is your goal in life? They said, Chandra, getting a job, earning money is the goal in life and nothing else. And it is not the fault of that individual because that's how the societies are running. That is how the countries are running. The best country on this planet, we say that USA, with the highly economically developed, but look at the person who is heading that country. Character, if there is no character, there is no process of knowledge. That's what Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita 13.8 to 13.12, that the process of knowledge is the development of character. If there is no character, there is no real knowledge. If there is no character building, there is no real knowledge. That's what we find. All the 13.8 to 12, they're all describing the character of a Krishna conscious person. If you can develop that character, then you, are, you automatically become Krishna conscious. 
We have an interesting pastime uh, from Ramayana on this aspect. After Ravana fell on the battlefield, Mandodari wanted to see that person. Who is that person who has the ability to kill my husband? My husband is not an ordinary personality. He is such a warrior, no one could defeat him. And here is an ordinary human mortal uh, who could kill my husband. So, uh, typically when a woman loses husband in the Vedic culture, they uh, open up their hair and the tilak, everything is rubbed and in that hasty emotional mood, she starts running towards the battlefield where Rama was. And Rama was uh, sitting on a rock there. It was a sunny time and one could see the shadow. As Mandodari was running towards Rama, the shadow was approaching Lord Rama. The moment Rama saw the shadow, he could make out from the shadow that it is a woman's shadow. And what did he do? He took a step backward. Indicating that here is a lady's shadow and under Vedic culture, I cannot even touch a lady's shadow. That is the character of Lord Rama and he takes a step backward. Immediately Mandodari stops and she understands that this is what is meant by success uh, to Lord Rama. Her husband, her husband was such a lusty person, he was chasing every woman on the planet, whereas here is a person who did not even allow a shadow to touch him. So unless we raise our consciousness to that platform, it is difficult for us to understand Krishna consciousness. Because the senses are so strong, it keeps us pulling down again and again. And once the senses reach or experience that higher platform, then this lower platform is easy to leave. And this is what we understand uh, from the verses in um, Bhagavatam 1.6.17. I'll not read the Sanskrit part. O Vyasadeva, at that time, being exceedingly overpowered by feelings of happiness, every part of my body became separately enlivened. Being absorbed in the ocean of ecstasy, I could not see both myself and the Lord. So here is Narada Mahamuni uh, trying to explain to Vyasadeva uh, about how his senses became electrified in touch with Krishna Consciousness, in touch with the Lord. So that's the higher taste. And equally, uh, Dhruva Maharaj says in 4.9.3 that when Dhruva Maharaj saw his Lord just in front of him, he was greatly agitated and offered him obeisances and respect. He fell flat before him like a rod and became absorbed in love of Godhead. Dhruva Maharaj in ecstasy looked upon the Lord as if he were drinking the Lord with, uh, with his eyes, kissing the lotus feet of the Lord 
with his mouth and embracing the Lord with his arms. All the features of Guru Maharaj's bodily expression indicate that upon seeing the Lord face to face, he developed the eight kinds of transcendental ecstasy in the body. So unless one experiences the transcendental ecstasy, he continue to feel that the material ecstasy which the senses get in engagement with the uh, sensual objects is, is the goal in life. So one should be exposed to this transcendental ecstasy. And equally fine, uh, Vritarashtra in uh, 6.11.26 is offering, O lotus-eyed Lord, as baby birds that have not yet developed their wings, always look for their mother to return and feed them. As small cows tied with ropes await anxiously the time of milking, when they will be allowed to drink the milk of their mothers, or as a morose wife whose husband is away from home, always longs for him to return and satisfy her in all respects. I always yearn for the opportunity to render direct service unto you. So therefore here we find uh, Nanda Mahamuni or uh, Dhruva Maharaj or Uttrasra that they are narrating their experiences when their senses came in contact with the Supreme Lord. And here on the, on the other side we find the persons on the material platform they engage their senses and they are also experiencing uh, ecstasy. But that ecstasy is entirely different from the ecstasy one derives or one, un, one experiences when in contact with uh, the Supreme Lord. And in the material world, we are constantly bombarded with material energy and therefore, uh, we feel that this is the goal. And unless we are exposed to Krishna consciousness, we are not exposed to spiritual energy. And the only way to transcend from the material to the spiritual is that we should be exposed to spiritual energy. So while being exposed to spiritual energy, Simultaneously, there should be a withdrawal from the material energy. To the extent we are exposed to spiritual energy, to that extent we become withdrawal from the material energy. Otherwise, in our present condition, the material energy and the uh, sensual pleasures we derive from the material energy are tangible. They are perceptible for any person. So how do we come in contact with the spiritual energy? Only when we are chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So we should expose ourselves to spiritual energy. So just as we are bombarded with material energy, we should innovate, should say, because bombardment is typically considered a negative self, but otherwise we should be bombarded with Krishna consciousness, spiritual energy, chanting. Then Krishna Katha, we should regularly, constantly hear Krishna Katha because that is spiritual. And we should 
Honor prasadam, not eat prasadam. Eating prasadam breaks down, although it is a spiritual activity, but we do not derive the benefit of this full spiritual uh, aspect if it is not honored, but if it is eaten. Because when, even when we are taking prasadam, we forget the basic Ayurvedic principles that I should eat only 50% of my stomach. However sumptuous the prasadam could be, I should eat only 50% of my stomach. And other 25% water and other 25% air. This is the typical Ayurvedic principle. Because these days we find many messages are being uh, sent uh, regarding prasadam. So therefore chanting Krishna Katha, eating prasadam, and association with devotees. We should be constantly exposed to these aspects. Then uh, Krishna consciousness or the spiritual aspects becomes tangible compared to the material energy which is currently tangible. So till we come to that platform, uh, we will be, uh, as he at Prabhupada says in his translation, we become morose, we become depressed, we become lusterless, we lose our shine. So summarizing, we should understand the goal of human life. If I do not understand the goal of human life, all my activities will be conducted on a material platform. The moment I understand the goal of life, it is not material, there is something beyond that. There is something called what transcendence and there is a goal for transcendence. Only then I will try to expose myself or I will take uh, transcendence uh, seriously and then it becomes tangible. Yeah. Any questions or any comment before we take up? You want to say something about Christmas? We can say about Christmas because it's quantity. I'm not sure about the time. Yes, Prabhu. Why did Lord Chaitanya feel everybody up to the day? Sorry, why did Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? Lord Chaitanya would fill everybody with prasadam up to the neck. <laughs> Possibly Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has seen that the persons are at that level. So therefore, let me fill them up with the uh, up to the neck. Yes, in the beginning one should satisfy one's senses with prasadam, but then uh, one should raise to the, from that platform. It's not that yes, one should one should not take prasadam. It is spiritual, uh, but when you are taking prasadam in the mode of eating rather than honoring, uh, then we are bringing that down to the material platform only. We do not get the full benefit. But Chaitanya Prabhu equally said that you should chant and you should dance 24 hours. You take my word and then preach. So what is convenient to us, we are taking that one particular aspect and then leaving other aspects. Vishila Prabhupada say that, okay, Bhim has eaten. But why do you compare Bhim only for eating? He has done other Herculean tasks. Why don't you do that as well? 
Yes, Prabhupada. 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 But he wouldn't fill everybody up to the neck every day. You find that description when there's a celebration, there's a festival. And Lord Chaitanya would fill everybody up. But there are, yes, Prabhu, one should eat. I, I'm not saying one should not eat, but personally I feel that prasadam is to be only honored rather than uh, eating with material consciousness. Hmm. When I'm on. That I understood. That's what you said first, but I asked the question. Yeah. Anyone else has a comment on that question? Because Prabhu yeah, is insisting on that question. Yeah. Uh, I want to say something. <coughs> okay. When Sri Prabhupada brought the foreign people to India, and <coughs> he was visiting few guests, you know, people, so. One devotee ate about 32 chapatis and then he complained, pain in the stomach. So Sri Prabhupada said, I was counting. You are eating so many, you will be sick and you didn't realize. So in India, the tendency is to give as much as possible, easy, easy, easy. And therefore, he was just sort of eating and then he didn't realize. So Sri Prabhupada said, that You have to be very careful, especially in India. Because people want to give you a lot of the But you have to eat on this day. Is that enough? No more. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> well, personally, I feel from medical perspective, because Prabhu is a doctor, he is saying the more we eat, the blood rushes to the stomach only. And the blood, when it rushes the stomach, it becomes empty in the brain. And when it becomes empty in the brain, you become drowsy. Your other spiritual activities, your other spiritual activities will suffer. Yes, in the beginning that is fine. Maybe one day, two days, one year, two years, three years, five years, ten years. But after that, there should be a change. Or one can say, well, age advances, even if you want to eat, you can't eat. Yes, Prabhu. On that point, I say, in 1958, I was doing my first English examination, anatomy, physiology, and biochemistry. So, as soon as I went to the examiner, the examiner asked me, did you have your lunch? I said, yes. So, he said, or tell me what happens after lunch, what happens, physically. So I have to tell the same thing for your There is so much blood gushing to the stomach. The other parts of the body, they are not getting that much blood. And you feel sleepy. And he said, if you eat too much, you feel sleepy. That's, that's, what, you do. that's what you do after, after a feast. That's what you do, you have to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> What is your answer, Prabhu? What's your call on that? Which one? That uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu fed everyone uh, up to the neck. I, I, I believe that it's 
It was for festivals. He wasn't doing it every, every day, filling everybody up to the neck. So, you know, there are occasions where there's a feast and part of that celebration, part of Krishna consciousness is honouring. You know, instead of being a yogi, oh, hang on, I can only feel my stomach up half and I have to enough of water. It, it's, it's, it's part of Bhutte Bhojayate Jaiva, it's part of our culture to, to celebrate by honouring and distributing prasadam. So, you know, ordinarily we would be Yuktahara Viharasya, regulated. But on some occasions it's appropriate to eat because it's a feast. And it's a celebration of the Lord's appearance day or whatever. Just like today we're going to have a picnic mm-hmm. to celebrate <laughs> Christmas. I'll come from a different angle though because I practiced medicine for more than 10 years in India. And we used to receive hundreds of patients. And I have observed that those who take their intake in terms of only 50% of their stomach quota, 25% of water and giving, leaving 25% for air, no matter on which day it is, they take only that quantity and when it comes to festival also, when the items are all there, they say this is how I've become habituated, I've become cultivated. So therefore you may be serving me uh, sumptuous, delicious items but still I can't take it because this is how I've trained myself. So this is something like satisfaction and uh, if that satisfaction is not there, no matter what it is, uh, I may like to take Srikhan because recently we made a lot of Srikhan. Uh, on the day I'm served, but I would also like to have Srikhan the next session and the following session because it's so sumptuous, it's so nice, stomach feeling. So, it's a habit, it's a cultivation. If my habit is not uh, in terms of satisfying my senses, even in a way in which I feel it's comfortable, uh, then uh, it gets stretched on uh, because I've not regulated myself. Yes, Prabhu. Thank you, Prabhu, for a wonderful class. To give an example reminds me my father was the type of man who would feed everybody up to their neck, <laughs> and especially at Christmas time, because that was a culture of his, and if he didn't have to give, he would feel ashamed. However, he was never overweight in his life. <laughs> I think it's the person who takes so much has to come to the conclusion of whether they've had too much or they've, they've had enough. It's like uh, intoxication of any type, say with alcohol. A man takes a drink, and then the drink takes the man. <laughs> Thank you, Prabhu. Yes, Prabhu. Um, with devotees, there's uh, a thing called um, uh, false renunciation. No? So, um, we encourage the devotees to take their full satisfaction right? and not be, you know, well, 
And yet they, they internally they want it, but externally they're saying no because, well, for whatever reason, they don't appear as being renounced. So, um, Shiva um, Prabhupada encouraged, and I think Lord Chaitanya encouraged, and, and I know we should encourage the devotees take to your full satisfaction. Right? If you want more Shrikant, take it. <laughs> Don't reject it. Right? Because this <laughs> is. It is, it, is, it is not a material activity, as you say, it's a spiritual activity and it nourishes our, uh, our spiritual uh, identity, you know, it nourishes us spiritually. So, um, um, there's, there's kind of like, there's the, <clears throat> there's Niyamagraha. There's not following the rules and regulations or being too attached. Right? So why Lord Chaitanya encouraged the devotees and filled them up to the net, which is, you know, from maybe from my baby point of view, maybe not a good idea. But from a spiritual point of view, it's to make all of the devotees fully satisfied and fully content in their Krishna consciousness. Mm-hmm. And I know I've seen devotees more often than not who reach, you know, push the Pashad away, but then later on you find them out of the back, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a it's 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 um, certainly good to be regulated. There's no doubt about that. And taking Prashad teaches us to be regulated. But there are occasions where if it's a festival or, or a celebration, then Lord Chaitanya would dispense with the you know with the rules and regulations and just take Prashad. Enjoy, have fun. Well, I'm only trying to say that let's not convert a spiritual activity to a material activity. If it is spiritual, let it, as a principle, exceptions you say, okay, festival days, somehow you have restricted all through the, the, the time, and on a festival time, if you want to be a little more liberal to yourself, well, you can be. I've seen, uh, especially on Balram Purnima, people taking eight to nine glasses of Varuni. <laughs> and then it, it comes back to the point that the devotees who are standing behind, they don't get even a drop of Varuni. So therefore you should encourage cooks to make uh, many, much more quantity. <laughs> what is being cooked? So, so that, that, that is twice the Um, I'm hearing both, and I think there is uh, an objective to both. I think basically when the devotee has to restrain their senses and so many fronts, I think it is um, encouraged for them to have a lot of prasadam during festival so that their senses are engaged, so that they don't, and they are satisfied, so that they don't have to seek sensual gratification. They're not uh, dragged by mind. 
I think that is one purpose. Yeah, I would but then I get to sleep afterwards. So. Yeah, but at least. <laughs> but the thing is, the thing is, at least you know, if someone like um, Prabhu was mentioning, you are restraining, restraining. There's, there may be a point when they will be tempted by other things. So to avoid that temptation, suppose if they are at least in one, they are restraining in so many angles. So at least in one area, at occasions, if you are allowed to just enjoy, so then that senses are satisfied. So you don't look for anything elsewhere. I think that is the purpose of it. Um, having said that, as the person is getting more and more um, the higher taste, even on festivals they try to restrict themselves and just um, to regulate that even on festivals. It depends on the level of the person. So both are compatible depending on the level. And um, the second thing is um, honoring prasadam, I think, and eating. It is There's a slight difference. Um, like Prabhupada's Whenever he was eating, he would not talk. He would like, he would like to just look at the prasadam and just eat. And second part of um, honoring prasadam is that okay, I've got something in my plate. There is something that I don't like, but that is still prasadam. I have to finish it. I won't throw it off. So that is part of honoring. Um, it's not that I eat just what I like. If it is on my plate, okay, it's on my plate. Whether I like it or not, it is prasadam, I finish it. I think that is also an element of honoring. So there's a little difference in between honoring and eating. And I think maybe that sort of fulfills the two things that I'm hearing. Okay. Gandhara Bhagavati. Yes, Prabhu. On the same point, but particularly in Denver and in Iskon all over the world, we have festival every day. I noticed that in the last week we had slickered five days in a row. Yeah. <laughs> so we have festival every day. Let's not talk about it. Let's just go and do it. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on that one, Prabhupada, there are temples like Sri Rangam Temple. They have 300 festivals out of 360 days. <laughs> 300, um, 300 festivals. People coming from south of India, they know this, that especially if you are from Tamil Nadu or Sri Lanka, they know that every day is a festival to attract the devotees. So therefore, people who stay in Sri Lanka, they never leave Sri Lanka because every day is a festival for them. They get a lot of uh, at least the days when we were there in Sri Lanka, we have enjoyed Pustana. <laughs> yes, Prabhu. Guru Krishna recommends that the practice of yoga will become one of his moderate in his habits. And everyone finds their own level of what they require to, to be able to practice their yoga successfully. Um, just a couple of comments that Prabhupada made. Uh, he, I think this is some time he criticised some people becoming underweight. And he recommended they become fit but not fat. And uh, I saw, I recall, a pastor on the Prabhupada. Prabhupada would often be restricted in his diet or some of his carers. 
one time in spirit all that caution away. And there was another devotee who was also here all the time. And Prabhupada's comment was, we, we want to die here in Pujari. To hell with the cooks or something. To hell with the... So Prabhupada, we saw that Prabhupada's taking prasadam with the people, he's never had any experience. Sometimes Prabhupada would just face the wall and sit right next to the wall. So no one could disturb him. He wasn't distracted by anything else. He was just that prasadam is getting non different from Krishna. And I was thinking that the highest degree. Thank you, Prabhu. Do you want to do something about Krishna? No, no. I just got a few minutes. Put Christmas into practice by having something to eat. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I didn't want to.